Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Well, this is God's word. Hey, I'm Nate. Good to be the pastor here at New City Glad You are here today. Wow. All right. Electric. All righty. Already. Starting off really solid. Hey, I got a question for you, and I'm going to open up with this question, and I realize that uh, I'm not going to be conjuring up like good feelings right off the bat, which is probably not a good first step, all right, for a sermon, but, you know, uh, I'm not known to be wise anyway. So here we go. All right. Do you know someone who is not done with Jesus, but they are done with the church? Does anybody here know somebody? They're not done with Jesus, but they've said to you in some kind of conversation in their life that, hey, I, I, I'm okay with the Jesus guy, so the church I have an issue with. I'm kind of done with the church. Anybody know somebody who is like done with the church but not done with Jesus? I mean, some raising the hands here. So, all right, so this is, this, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about this particular issue today. And I was reading this commentary that was really like life-giving. In fact, if you want to read it, Eugene Peterson's uh, Practicing the Resurrection is awesome. I mean, just really good. Every page, like as you read it, it feels like he wrote it like this year. Uh, just super relevant to our current moment. He says this in, in the early introduction of the book. He says, many Christians find church to be the most difficult aspect of being a Christian. And, and many drop out. There are there, there may be more Christians who don't go to church or go only occasionally than who embrace it, warts and all. And there are, are certainly plenty of warts. It's not easy for pastors. The attrition rate among pastors leaving the congregation is alarming. And then he poses the question, which is the question I want to pose to you today, so why church? Like, why? Uh, the book of Ephesians answers this question. I mean, answers it page after page after page. Why church? Eugene Peterson says, the short answer is because the Holy Spirit formed it to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. That you and I are colonizing this, this world that's in bondage to sin and death with, with an, a taste of, at least a foretaste of, God's kingdom reality. And, and if it weren't for church people living together in community as church people, like lo loving God and loving their neighbors and living radically different lives in the context of the greater community, who would even know? Like it's, it, Our witness is our community. Our, our witness is our life together. Our witness is the way that we love one another. In fact, the world knows who Christ is by the way that we love each other. And so our witness is, is how we live as a colony of heaven in the country of death. He says the strategy of the Holy Spirit 
is uh, for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. It is, it, it is not the kingdom complete, but it is the witness to the kingdom, a foretaste of it. And so at New City, we say all the time that we are imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. We are a collection of imperfect people, but we are in faith acting uh, in such a way that we're believing that Jesus is, in fact, doing a renewal thing. In Ephesians 4.1, you might sort of say this is like the, the verse that sort of says, hey, this is what the whole letter's about. Uh, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so everything in Ephesians is about this, about how you walk, how you live. How you walk, and, and the word you, sometimes we read the word you, but we've got to read it with a southern accent. You all, okay, you all walk. You all together walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is a communal thing that we're engaged in. Uh, in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, we read this just a few seconds ago. Um, Paul says, God's made known to us a mystery. It's a, the kind of the, the secret parts, the secret stuff. He's made known to us the mystery his purpose in the world, like his greater purpose, his greater plan. A plan, he describes in verse uh, 10, uh, that is a, to be executed in the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to, to bring heaven and earth back together again. His plan is uh, the new heavens, new earth reality. His plan is, is ultimate restoration of everything. And so we are engaged with God in that plan, together as a colony of heaven on earth. We are engaged with God in His plan to bring about renewal, to unite heaven and earth once again. Like that's what we are about doing. So let me just say it. All right, uh, I, so I, I, I couldn't tell like when I was writing my sermon if I was angry or not. And if I come off like an angry prophet today, like I'm not really an angry person. I really am a lovable person. I like to laugh. But let me just say, like the church is not an event you attend. It's a family on mission you belong to. And a lot of people think of church as an event where you come and consume Christian goods and services. But that's not the way that Paul describes the church in Ephesians. He so said, this is a unique community of people who are living together in this community, putting on display God's kingdom reality, showing the world His plan. So the church is not a place where we celebrate human sufficiency. It's a place where we confess human dependency and receive God's sufficiency. So, so church isn't a place where we put human beings on a platform and say, isn't this communicator so great? Or it's not where we put human beings on a platform and say, aren't these worship leaders so tremendous? Like, that's not what the church is about. Like, we don't gather together so we can worship human beings. We gather together to say we are absolutely dependent upon the only one who is sufficient. It's, it's about carving up space and time and our life and our rhythms to say, you know what, I really am dependent, and all these other people in here are dependent too, and we all are in need of the sufficiency of Christ for everyday life. And I think many people have given it up on, on church and not Jesus because too much attention has been paid to what people must do and not enough attention has been paid to what God has done. Now, the passage that was read today, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, is actually one sentence in Paul's Greek. It's one 200-word sentence in Greek. Yeah, so, you know, my, my teachers would not have been happy with that sentence growing up in school. But one 201-word sentence. Sentence contains seven verbs. Blessed, chose, predestined, blessed, lavish, made known to unite. But hear me on this introductory sentence in Paul's letter. Not, not one verb applies to what people must do. All are applied to what God has done, is doing, and will do. 
the entire focus of Paul's first movement is saying, have you seen God lately? Have you seen the work he's about? Have you seen what he's doing in the world? You, you know, when... Man, uh, so I'm trying to like fight back. I got, I got like a little bit of fire going on right now. So here's the deal. Like the church is not a gathering where we put the power of people on display for the world to see. That's not what we do here. The church is a people who are submitting to the power of God for the world to see. And so when we gather together, we're not going like, man, you know, come, come to my church. We got like this fantastic whatever. It's like we have this fantastic Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and man, we, He is the center of everything. Like that's what's about. It's about a group of people going, we know what's most important, and we're going to gather around the thing that's most important, and that's what we submit to. That's what we bow the knee to. That's what we give our allegiance to. And so the power is what Paul brings up in his first conversation with the church of Ephesus. It wasn't a church that he planted. Apollos planted it. Uh, but Paul's traveling. He ends up spending three years with this church, and it happened while Paulus was at Corinth that Paul passed through. This is in Acts 19, 19, 20, 21. You see the kind of Ephesians portion of the book of Acts. So it happened it was, uh, when Paulus was out at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, listen to what he said to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, is the power of God present in your community? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then you fast forward a few years after Paul has left and he writes this letter back to Ephesus and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the Holy Spirit came and God gave gifts and he gave the capacity for the church to spread the gospel in Ephesus. Every spiritual blessing. Man, all right, so hold on for a second. Worship gatherings are not where we make things happen. Like that, like we gather together not to make something happen. Worship gatherings are where we prepare ourselves to receive what God makes happen. Like that's that's our focus. Sometimes it's, it's hard for, and so I'm I'm just going to hit pause for a second, and just be vulnerable. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember that. Because I, I prepare, I work, I study. I want you to, to, to feel like, man, you, some value is added to your life when you, when you leave here. And sometimes that's a little wrong-headed, to be honest. Um, what we do here is unique and different. Because we're not just sharing content that makes your life just a little bit better. We're carving out space and time and saying, we worship a God who transforms lives. We're, we're coming together to worship a God who, who's going to make everything new one day. Like, we're, like we're, this is like, this is different kind of stuff. And so, like, we're not coming to sort of say, oh, let's just see if we can move the needle just a little bit so my life is a little bit happier this week. No, it's like we're coming to meet the God who does transformational work. That's what we're doing. So Ephesians is the revelation of the hidden church. It's that thing you don't see. Uh, the power that grows and advances the renewal of king, the kingdom of Jesus. It's that that Ephesians is revealing to us. It's peeling back the pages and going, okay, so you can see uh, churches have different shapes and forms and structures, and that sort of that, but that's not what Ephesians is talking about. 
Ephesians, as you're opening up the pages and you're flipping through the letter, Paul's going, here's the hidden stuff. This is the stuff that God's at work doing. This is what he's doing in the world. This is the mystery revealed, verse 9. This is the plan being executed, verse 10. He's bringing it about. And this is how he's doing it. This is how he's bringing about the plan. This is how he's revealing the mystery. So the biblical vision of church is a lot less sexy and a lot more gritty than the American vision of the church. And sometimes it's important to be a little prophetic and just say sometimes I think what we want and what we expect out of church is more informed by our American consumeristic identity than is a gospel framing that comes from the word of God that creates for us. Like some, so, so what I mean by that is sometimes because we're Americans, we, we think first in, in consumeristic terms. And we think about coming to church and go, man, I really hope I get a great spiritual product today versus I hope I meet the, the living God today in the context of my friends who, who are submitting themselves to him and following him. It's a totally different thing. And so when you examine the Spirit's conception of the commissioning of Jesus and the Spirit's conception of the commissioning of the church, you see some interesting sort of parallels. And, and, and this hit me uh, afresh this week. I mean, I was just looking at Luke chapter 1 and 2 and going, okay, Luke, this is really interesting. You're very, you know, Luke's a physician. He's detail-oriented. He's going to hit the marks that need to be hit. And so he writes Luke and he writes Acts. And you look at Luke 1 and 2 and you look at Acts 1 and 2 and you go, man, there's a lot of parallels between when Jesus is commissioned and when Jesus, Jesus is conceived and when the church is conceived, the church is commissioned. These things look like very similar. It's almost like Luke is saying, hey, you should kind of pay attention to how Christ came into the world and pay attention to how the church came into the world because there's something there that I want to be repeated for all of time. And Eugene Peterson looks at the this, this same moment. He says, how did God bring our salvation community into the world, into our history? Pretty much the same way he brought our Savior into the world. By a miracle, every bit as miraculous as the birth of Jesus, but also under the same conditions as the birth of Jesus. Celebrity was conspicuously absent. Government seemed oblivious to what was going on. God gave us the miracle of, of the congregation the same way he gave us the miracle of Jesus by the descent of the dove. And to whom? Marginalized people. I mean, to whom? My powerless people. And God chose the powerless and the vulnerable and the unimportant to reveal the mystery of his renewal work in the world. This is, this is just wild, but this is how it happened. I mean, Jesus wasn't, I mean, he was born in poverty. The, the, the church, I mean, this ragtag group of people, and people who would never in normal society get along, and zealots, and, and then you have sellouts to the government all coming together, and people who are blue-collar workers all coming together for some common purpose, some plan, some mystery being revealed right now, live, before us, but what God's at work doing. And I was reading, once again, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 this week, and I just thought how funny it would be if like you were reading this about yourself. You, I mean, you might even, like, you know, just consider, Paul says, consider your calling, brothers, sisters. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. I mean, think about it for a second, guys. Like, you're not that special. <laughs> like, I mean, serious. Like, let's just like, kind of meditate on that for a second. You're not that great. God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's calling them fools, right? God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. He's calling them weak. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so what, what's the lesson here? God doesn't choose the best and the brightest, although the best and the brightest are often chosen, but he does choose the humble and dependent. That's who he chooses. 
And so far as the best and the brightest are also humble and dependent, God chooses them. But he's not, out the, he's not out there looking for the best and the brightest. He's out there looking for the humble and the dependent. That's what he's looking for. And, and it's, it's remarkable how ordinary Christ comes into the world and how ordinary the church is born into existence. And it's the ordinariness of Christ's followers is a stumbling block to a world that has been bottle-fed American celebrity culture. It's just a stumbling block. And I'll tell you, I mean, there's a tension right now growing in the American church. And I'll just, I didn't plan to say this, and whatever. We'll just, we're friends. Okay, so I talk to a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, and the side hustle I do, and it gives me the opportunity to talk to a lot of pastors. And a lot of pastors are feeling a lot of internal turmoil and strain because of COVID, because a lot of people have not come back to in-person gatherings. And many are still attending online, but the in-person gathering has not been sort of coming back to the, where it was pre-pandemic. And there's a lot of sort of pressure. And some people are feeling the pressure to be, um, to, 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 to do it through their own power. Uh, to, 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 to do something that um, appeals to that American consumeristic spirit, which also is kind of working against where they feel like the gospel is calling them to be. And, and it's, like it's a real tense moment in the church out there right now. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling block, this ordinariness of the gospel sometimes. Because, yeah, I think American people are, you know, just conditioned. They're conditioned to, to, to seek after celebrity. They're conditioned to consume. But in Ephesians, the call to gather and to meet each other's needs is a stumbling block to bargain-hunting American consumer culture. And, when I, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I do think that some people you know, are bargain-hunting for church opportunities. I want to get the maximum gain with... <laughs> as little obligation. I want, I want, I want, to, get, I want, I want to get filled up spiritually. I want to be fed and served, but I don't want to contribute anything. And that's not the vision that we see in Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Like you just, you simply can't bear with one another in love unless you're living in the context of a community, a colony of heaven, colonizing this land, <laughs> this bondage to sin and death. Like you can't do it. You, you, can't, you, you can't do it because you don't even know what the, what the burdens are. And so there, there's, there's this sort of movement in Ephesians saying, you know, we, 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 we are just radically committed to one another in this loving community this this church this gathering this assembly of people and i think as we grow in understanding of what god has done for us we'll grow in our desire to for god to work through us and i had to just keep repeating this to myself this week just to be honest with you as a pastor like god has blessed us with everything we need to be good news in our city he has like he has in, in this room bless us with everything we need to be good news in our city Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Later in Ephesians 4, he said, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to evangelists, some shepherds, some teachers. In other words, God equipped the church 
He equipped the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, like, God's in the equipping business through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe, like, right now, the Holy Spirit has empowered His church to do the work. Like, like we have everything we need. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So, like, the question I think, you know, just sort of really evaluate to kind of press in is how has God blessed you? Like, how has God blessed you? Uh, now, I'm going to throw a book up, and I'm not going to. Re- I'm not recommending the book, but it's 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 like a book that was like a really great blog post that somebody made into a book. But the blog post was really great, and it was, it was, it was called "The Power of Writing It Down." I read it a couple weeks ago, and the big idea. You don't have to read it. Here it is. I'm going to give you the big idea. It's like if you could journal 20 minutes a day for four days in a row, periodically in your life, all these like things change for you. Like you. You, you get healthier, uh, you feel better, uh, it, psychologically your life begins to kind of tune into itself, and it's kind of a self-diagnosed sort of kind of behavioral therapy, it's just sort of working through your deep thoughts and, and writing like really motive kinds of things, and you take a big question, you journal it over a period of days, and so I started doing that, and just as prayer though, like not just like journaling, but as prayer, like 20 minutes of like isolated writing down, here's what's really going on in me, and I just wrote, I wrote down the question, this, my, this was my prompt, why am I here? I just wrote this down. I was like, okay, why am I here? And I just sat at the computer. I just started typing for 20 minutes, four times uh, in a week. And, and it was wild. You know, I don't know if, you know, I just was, it was good for me. Just pro- and, I, uh, and so I, it wasn't every day that question, but like the first day's journaling led me to another day of journaling, which led me to another day. And so it was progressive. And, you know, the, the sentence summary of like everything that I think the Lord was kind of doing in me and like how have I blessed you was, was I've been called to be a father to the fatherless. And, you know, I was adopted by my dad. My wife, Vanessa, was adopted by her dad. We both have adoption in our story. And there are these seasons of ministry in my past where there, there was like true revival where people were coming to faith and, and, and just weird. I mean, it's just, I mean, there's one season in particular when I was in Boca Raton many years ago in my very first student ministry. And, and in my journaling, I realized that a lot of these kids who were coming to faith and a lot of the transformation that was happening in that church, that community were fatherless kids. And then, like, a lot of the motivation for when we started Shine School Partnership, the partner churches and schools for a common good, had to do with, like, this desire to be a father to the fatherless. And a lot of the reason why we planted a church and is because there are a lot of, you know, spiritually fatherless children out there in the world that the father loves, and God's called me to be a father to the father. And so it's like, you know, we haven't, you know, adopted children into our family, but in other ways, in other places, we've expressed this kind of theme over and over and over again. And, and that, that theme in the Bible that God has chosen us to be His kids is one of those themes that just every time I read about it, it wrecks me. It just absolutely wrecks me. Look again at our passage, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Listen to that. He chose you before the world was ever created. He chose you. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Why are you here? Like, why are you here? Living, breathing, thinking right now. Like, why are you here? You are here because God has answered the question are you worth it? Before the foundation of the world, He asked, Are you worth it? 
God didn't have to create this world. He didn't have to create this world with you in it. He had to create this world with you in it, sinning. He had to create this world with you in it, sinning, in need of the redemption that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. Like, didn't have to do it, but He did it. And He chose you before the foundation of the world and said, you're worth it to me. I weighed the cost. I calculated it out. I knew what it was going to mean. And I brought you into my family that way. That's what I did. And you're here today because God decided you're worth it. That's why you're here today. Because you, you are worth it. You're worthy. And no one can take that from you. God chose you. Brought you in. This is why I think Christian people ought to have like this healthy balance of spirit-filled urgency. I couldn't come up with a better phrase, but spirit-filled chill? You know, like chill? Seriously. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the holy spirit so the spirit lets you know a couple things if god has paid your debts in jesus then you have nothing left to pay like he's forgiven you he's redeemed you he's rescued you and if God has given you in his inheritance, and that's what the Spirit says. The Spirit says, yes, your, your sins have been forgiven. The Spirit says, yes, you are a child of God. And you may be hearing that for the first time today, but that's who you are. And if the Spirit says yes to that, then you have nothing left to earn. And those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior know like this reality in their life. I, my debt's been paid and my inheritance is secure, and so uh, I guess I get to chill. I mean, sometimes we don't live that way, right? And we don't, we live like we got this thing we got to pay off in the past that we've not yet forgiven ourselves for. And sometimes we feel like our future is not really that secure and we work really hard and tirelessly trying to prove ourselves worthy. But no thing in this broken world will ever restore your broken life. And at some point in life, you'll get it. Because at some point in life, you'll just accumulate more and more of the broken things and they just don't seem to fix the brokenness. So what has God done? God has lavished us with knowledge and purpose and His plan to forgive, to redeem, to restore His broken world. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullest of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in on the earth. So why are you here? You're here because you have a purpose. A purpose. God's revealing the mystery of his purpose, redemption of sins through the blood of his son Jesus. Forgiveness of those sins. A commissioning to the plan to unite heaven and earth ultimately. A, a, a participation in his renewal of all things. Like that's why you're, you have a purpose. God's at work right now uniting heaven and earth. He said, hey, Christian, pray. 
for this to happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Like, pray for it to happen. You are here to pray for your purpose, and your purpose is to pray for your kingdom come, your will be done in Albuquerque as in heaven, in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my home as it is in heaven, with my parenting as it is in heaven, in my workplace as it is in heaven. Like you're called to pray for heaven and earth to be brought together, to be, you know, a participant in the, in the colonization of heaven on earth. To give people that sense of what God's at work doing, to reveal the mystery, the plan. You're here to put the heavenly reign and rule of Jesus on display and to proclaim the good news of his forgiveness and redemption. Like you're here for a purpose. Now, I'm biased, and I think that my bias is founded in Scripture, so we can quibble over it later if you want to. There are a lot of great causes in the world, but there's no cause greater than the mission of God at work through the people of God. There just isn't one. It's not to say other causes are bad, but there's no cause greater. I just I believe it with all my heart. There's no, God, there's no cause greater than the mission of God at work through the people of God. Man, there are, there, are, there are people doing the work. There's nowhere for you to invest your time, your gifting, your money that's more important than the mission of God at work through the people of God. It just isn't one. Man, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I cannot imagine one. And that's not to say there aren't great things going on in the world. There are great things going on in the world. Just the greatest. The most important thing is the mission of God to work through the people of God. That's the most important thing. And so if you were to just kind of evaluate, kind of where, where's my time, energy, talent, where's it going? Like, is, is, there, is, there, is, there, is there something in the portfolio of my activity where there, I've got some evidence of some dedication to the mission of God to work through the people of God? That's, that's a worthy evaluation. Man, I, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying hard for this to be true of our church. So, you know, years ago, we did this sort of exercise, the staff team, and somebody said, you know what, New City attracts, they attract kind of tough mutter Christians, like people who, like, people who do tough mutter races are a different category of people, you know, they're weird. And they, you know, pe- you know they, they go and cr- army crawl, and there's electrical things, and it's just not. I mean, those people are nuts. And if you do that, you're totally crazy. But, we, like, you're welcome here, all right? And we do, like, we do, like... We, we do attract like these kind of Christian people who go, you know what, I'm really looking for a place where um, I can participate and make a difference and have some impact. Come on, somebody got it. That was like awesome. I, I, heard, I, I heard, praise God, way to go. That's what I heard. Look, I know people who are not done with Jesus, but they're done with the church, and I also know they're wrong. I know people who are not done with Jesus, but they're done with the church, and I also know they're wrong. Because Jesus is not done with the church. He's not done. The church is the body of Jesus on mission in a world enslaved to sin and death. And in Ephesians 4, which is like the chapter the whole letter rides on, says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let me just say, the church, when she's not living up to her ideal, ought to be rebuked, but she ought not ever to be abandoned. And so call out the church, rebuke the church. That's appropriate. Abandoning, though, not so much. 
And if you search the pages of Scripture, you'll find you'll find a lot of things, but you'll never find a churchless Christian. It just doesn't exist. But you'll find many rebuked and broken churches. And this is something I hadn't yet seen before, but you read through the letters of Paul, every one of Paul's letters is written to a church to rebuke them, except for the book of Ephesians. It's the only one that's written to say, here's my ideal for the church, but every other letter is written to rebuke broken churches, full of broken people. So we are imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. That's who we are. Uh, so why are you here? Well, I think you're here li- to chill, quite frankly. I mean, just relax from that crazy, celebrity, consumeristic-minded American culture. You're just here to chill from that. Like, you don't have to pretend here. You can be yourself here. Like, you, you don't have to pretend to be perfect here. You don't have to have your best, you know, Instagram face on here. Like, you can just relax. I mean, you're here to chill and worship as a child of God. You're here also for a holy urgency, seeking the renewal of Jesus in your home, neighborhood, city, and world. And those two things can work together, like just being super relaxed and, and receiving as a child that God's good grace, but also at the same time feeling filled up and energized to be on mission. And in Acts 19.2, Paul said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed, do you have the Spirit? See, if you have the Spirit, He sealed you with the promise of your adoption. If you know you have the Spirit, when the Spirit's going, the Father's your dad. You also have the Spirit when you Recognize you're empowered to be a witness. Empowered to be a witness. Ephesians 1.13, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus says to the, to the apostles, to be for what purpose? To be witnesses. In other words, the Spirit both gives you that ability to relax as God's child, like He's in control and He's good and you can relax, but at the same time the Spirit goes, you got a job to do, friend. you got some witness to be a part of. Like you got some work to do in the world, and the world out there doesn't know the plan. They don't know what's going on. They don't, they haven't, the mystery hasn't been revealed to them. So let me just say over you, church, Holy Spirit, will you come and fill your church that we can relax? but also that we might get to work for your glory and the service of other people. So I just invite the Holy Spirit for that purpose. And Holy Spirit, will you save a sinner today? Somebody who didn't know, but you just made it known. Will you, will you call them, Holy Spirit, to Jesus, who forgives, redeems, and renews? Will you do that, Holy Spirit? I just, I just want that for you. So the question is, why, why are you all here? I think we got hopefully some some movement in the direction of an answer today. You know, there are some things that we can do together that we could never do apart. And every once in a while, I don't know if you do. I mean, I I had like this justice thing in my soul that I can't shake, and so whatever. I get upset all the time. I'm looking at the world going, I wish somebody would do something. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit goes, Hey, aren't you the pastor of the body of Christ at work at New City Church? Isn't somebody doing something about it? Like, my, my body, isn't my body supposed to be my hands and my feet? I mean, isn't my body supposed to be activated? And 
Aren't we supposed to be out there being the ones that are doing something about it? So, you know, we don't have to be freaked out about it. We can relax because God's good and he's sovereign. He's our dad. But we can't at the same time feel energized. That we've got the Holy Spirit to move us for mission. And man, I'm just praying for that today. So, so Father, I just, you know, both those things, like I, I pray that for people. I mean, you know, I, I know that sometimes at New City Church you have over the years attracted people who are just really high performers at their jobs and work and in life and in parenting and in marriage, and which means that we always have a lot of people who are really tired in the room, just exhausted and beat down and worn out and trying to do it all. And uh, so, uh, Father, I thank you for giving us the ability every once in a while just to chill out, like just you're in control, like we're not, so we want to be, but you're in control, and you're good, uh, you're good, and you can be trusted, and, and I pray that you would just right now, the anxiety, the stress, the worry, would you melt it away um, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our life, sanctifying us with your truth, just melt it away, but when we leave here today, Father, would you also give us the energy, the power, the Holy Spirit to feel called and compelled to be, uh, to be a witness uh, in the context of community. And um, if there's anybody here who just doesn't know if they fit in or belong, speak to them. Let them know that they're a kiddo that belongs to you. Um, thank you, Father such a gift that you've given us in your son Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> Amen.